Well, hello and welcome to Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined as ever by the wonderful uh, Andy Bannister. Um, I almost forgot your name for a minute there, did I? I know, it did sound um, like we've been a month or so since we last recorded one yeah. of these because... Um, you know, events, dear boy. Um, but um, <laughs> but yes, I, I thought he's forgotten my name. He's actually forgotten <laughs> who his co-podcast, who his co-podcast is. You know, I, I'm such a big cancelled star now. You know, it's just it's hard to remember. You know where I've come from. The humble origins of Pot of the Gaps. Egg, exactly. Know. Back in the days exactly. when you were just a mere theology lecturer rather than somebody hunted down by methodists with clubs <laughs> exactly. across the country. I had a mere salary, you know. I actually had to. I had a job and a stable income. It was. It was. It was the glory days. Um, but you're. You've got an exciting uh, schedule ahead. You're going to not quite to the sunny climes of across the world, but you are going to Europe, aren't you? I am. So uh, literally tomorrow. Uh, so by the time people listen to this, I am off to Poland. So there's a big uh, thing every year in uh, in Poland called the European Leadership Forum, which is a kind of um, conference that gathers pastors and leaders and assorted hangers-on mm-hmm. from all across Europe. And there's different tracks, theology and apologetics and missions and you name it. So I'm teaching, I think, five or six seminars there. And mm. um, and also flogging my new book, Aaron, because I've got a book out, you see. Oh, if you really? Went, if you weren't so busy causing controversy and actually sat down and wrote stuff. So my book, <laughs> How to Talk <laughs> About it? Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. Um, I think you're doing a sequel called How to Run a Theological College Without Looking Like an Idiot. And, I've got some great people I could recommend. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, people who might endorse it, actually. Um, yeah, that's Ash. Um, So... Um, <laughs> Anyway, no, how to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot is uh, a panic-free guide having natural conversations about your faith. So it's really exciting because it's with an American publisher. It's the first time I've used an American publisher. I usually use UK publishers who are lovely, but things are on a budget, whereas it's an American publisher. I got a box yesterday turned up, 75 copies of my book. That is astonishing. That is astonishing. I mean, I can use them to prop up tables. I can build shelves out of them. No, it means I can... So I'm taking some to Poland and I can I can sell them to people with the enticement that you can buy this book, you know, six wow. weeks before it comes out. So that's probably more copies than my academic books have ever sold. Well, my know, academic book, yeah. yeah, similar to you, my first ever book, my book on the Koran, I think sold a grand total of fifty-three copies. <laughs> actually, that's not true. No, no, no. It sold two hundred and fifty-three copies. Actually, but right. that was its some selling. Some total. Yeah, they don't I got they don't one pound twenty in royalties. So um That's right, yeah. So so we shall see. Anyway, it's very exciting. Yeah, if somebody wants to say the exciting. most exciting times in an author's life, two most exciting times in an author's life are when they sign the contract and when the book is done. Everything in That's between right. is just sheer hard graft. Absolutely. Yeah, and we can refer listeners to our writing episode, which we did That's last true. year. That's true. writing, you yes. Know. And then and now, you know, every and time... I think I... In, that, in that episode, you were talking about this book as a future prospect. I probably was, still, actually, because that was you know. uh, about a year and a bit ago. And, well, now, the funny thing is, every time I write books, Aaron, I always go, never again. Never, ever again. This is such a horrible process. And already now <laughs> I'm going... Do you know what? I've now got my fingers are getting itchy. I've got that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The next idea, maybe a book on the Vikings. Say, yeah. Well, that's right. No, project, yeah, I think that's my yeah. I have. I've got. I've got actually got quite a lot of book projects. I need to get. get oh, yeah, back yes, on. I saw your list. So, but you, yeah. are my friend, have been hobnobbing with the rich and famous and controversial. <laughs> I believe. Yes. Well, the famous yeah, forget... and controversial. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, probably some of them are quite rich. I'm sure, uh, but it's uh, it was the yeah. I was at NatCon. The controversial. Oh, is that like a convention for people who are into like mosquitoes? 
yes, yeah, for nuts, that's right. No, it's actually, you know, it's the past tense of knit uh, in some, oh, in some okay, colloquial yeah, yeah, sense. So like if, you, if one has knitted, one is nat. So and if, if you're going nat, to, I, w- I will not, I am knitting, I have nat. <laughs> Exactly, I have that. What has that exactly? And there's a you know, and if if you're to con people into thinking you've done that, then it's a nat con. And if you were able to tell jokes about 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 this this kind of hobby, that would make you a nitwit. A nitwit, exactly. It would. Yes, that's right. Yes. So uh, perfect. So yeah. So nat con. What is nat con? Well, nat con is initiated. Yeah, it's the National Conservative Conference, which isn't the Conservative Party. But the confusing thing is there were some Conservative MPs, right. including front benchers, giving some presentations. But there were That's, loads of presentations. Are you telling me, by the way, because this, this will be controversial to some UK listeners, are you telling me if you draw like a Venn diagram, a circle of members of the of, you know Conservative Party politicians and people who are philosophically conservative, there is actually a slight overlap between those two. <laughs> yeah, that's that, right, that, yeah. I mean, you used to many. <laughs> It would be exactly, and actually, that was quite a theme of the conference. It was really interesting because obviously, it's been like absolutely pilloried in the media. So, like, we went and every time we went outside uh, to, to the building to go for get you know for lunch or something, you just there were there were a few there's these kind of regular protesters, not like epic amount of protesters, but like anti-Tory protesters. I was like, I don't think you realise that a lot of the critique of the Tory party is going on inside the building, and <laughs> there's a lot of protests going on about how the Tory party hasn't been particularly conservative, and that's why we're in the state we're in. So various times, you know, the things that got lots of big applauses were when people are talking about woke being a problem, et cetera, and all these terrible policies and, and problems in our in British society. And then remembering, oh, yeah, there's been a conservative government for 13 years in power, and all of this has happened on their watch. And so that's yeah, a big part of it. But the weird, yeah, as I said, the weird thing, we had Jacob Rees-Mogg, a kind of former um, prominent cabinet member, um, now not is he, but um, he, yeah, he gave a speech, and uh, Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, gave a speech. Michael Gove came and did a Q and A. Um, so it's quite an interesting time, and the you know, the, 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 so was that sort of interplay between what what is the future looking like with the crazy world we live in, and the need to challenge some of the crazy ideas that are running their way in the long march through the institutions, as they say, um, tempering that with. Yeah, what does it what does it actually mean to be conservative to conserve things? And what I was really interested in uh, with it, you know, I'm not particularly um, massively sort of directed in terms of politics. Obviously, I am conservative in my way of thinking. Well, you know, the fact that you're you you say you're conservative would come as a surprise to, to many, Aaron, because I think you, <laughs> you obviously hide that incredibly well, quite frankly. Thank you. You know, I've been trying to hide my true sentiments uh, on those kinds of issues. But it is interesting. It used to be, it actually still is, actually, I would say. There's a few jokes coming out at the conference about people coming out as a conservative, which shows just almost how progressive Western society has become, that it almost becomes a sort of, yeah, a, a thing that people don't really want to be very proud about because they because that's partly the hatchet job that's been done on the, the idea of being conservative, whether it's you are uncompassionate, you're unkind, you don't care about the poor, you don't care about um, immigrants, or you don't care about multicultural expressions or pluralistic ideas or whatever it would be. Um, that seems to be the, the brush that's tarred with this. It shows how effective that narrative has been. And so that people kind of think, oh, gosh, yeah, I'm not one of those conservative types who only care about ideas and truths and don't care about people or something. When in reality, it's just... But the very broadest sense, 
it was being discussed as like, what does it mean to conserve, <laughs> conserve, and what's the best way to, you know, to live socially together? What, what kind of things should we be caring about and valuing? And what I was really encouraged by, oh, clearly there's there's actually quite a lot of diversity in terms of the viewpoints that people thought of as throughout the conference. But uh, other than I guess everyone's basically anti woke, that would be there was no not much diversity on that issue. So everyone knows what the problem is or, or one of the main problems, but they don't not all agreed on the solutions for sure. Um, but there was a yeah a clear sense of family being really important, mm. and I know that conservatives always sort of said that kind of thing, but in recent years it's really the party itself has gone a bit awry on that. But they were really focusing on things like we've things that we've talked about on part of the gaps, mm. like how many children people have. Um, so the whole thing about fertility and dropping birth rates across the Western world was really hammered by loads of people. Like it, it came up in like four or five different papers, and then linking those to things like housing issues, like the fact that house prices are so high that stops people having families, and the people don't have, or they they marry later, they don't have children till later, they have fewer children, and that's going to have a massive effect longer term mm. on all of society. Obviously, so they're like, so house prices have a massive direct effect on like civilization literally on population yes. growth, et cetera. Well, that, so, so all yeah. these things link in, don't they? Yes, I was going to say, and the other issue that links in there, of course, that we've covered on on, on part of the gaps in the past is immigration. Because one mm. of the things that's been, that's been said in, in recent commentary has been, that okay, so birth, birth rates are falling. And for people listening to this thinking, why is that a problem? Well, the obvious issue is, is that if you are living in particularly a European country, I think Americans may be set up slightly differently, but in European countries where our pensions are basically paid for by the contributions of future citizens. So mm. when you get to retirement age, you want there to be enough young workers around who can pay mm. their national insurance because that's going to pay for your pension. You are not right now paying for your pension. You are paying for the pensions of current retirees. Now, the problem mm. is, in, you know, by the time that, you know, roll, scroll forward 20 or 30 years, we're looking like a situation where, you know, for every retire, old elderly person, there's only going to be two or three workers. Mm. Um, and that's a massive issue. Japan's mm. about to crush through that wall and mm. all kinds of problems happen. And then what happens, this is where the immigration issue comes in, which we talked about in a previous episode, is countries in the West have tended to go, right, ah, oh, we backfill it through immigration. Our own yeah. people are not, are not having enough children. So we bring mm. immigrants over here. And mm. that, of course, has two problems. One is we're stealing the brightest and the best from other countries. I mean, that's insanity yeah. that we're strip mining <laughs> other cultures going, well, you come here and don't worry about the mess back home. <laughs> um, but then the other problem is you repeat the cycle. What then happens is you have a burgeoning population, you need houses for those. And then if you're not careful, those immigrants come here and buy our values, their birth rate drops. And mm -hmm. the whole mm -hmm. thing repeats. And as somebody once said, mm. pensions begins to look like this giant Ponzi scheme. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, what I yeah, want to absolutely. talk about very quickly, there's something you said more seriously, because we are doing an episode on on the church and, and politics and whatnot. One thing that I found fascinating, your comment there about the way that conservatism as a, as a, as a, as a political philosophy, not a party, political philosophy yeah. is viewed a bit askant. What, I found one of the things interesting, that right now when, when a bishop, you know, a senior church leader... Mm. Uh, Justin Welby, I'm looking at you. Pops up and says something. You hear, you see a meet, you, you see a headline. Justin mm. Welby says something political. You can guarantee it's going to be some more left wing political issue. So he was he was popping up in the House of Lords the other day, banging on about immigration, and yeah. says some not bad things. But people also missed out. But but Justin, you're not talking about housing. You're only talking mm. about you know this other issue. Um, firstly, you can get guarantee what it is. But here's the thing that fascinates me: 20, 30 years ago, the opposite would have been 
the case. The joke was mm. the Conservative Party was the Anglican Church at, was that was the Anglican Church at, at prayer, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, was mm-hmm. sorry, the Anglican Church was the Conservative Party at prayer, mm-hmm. and um, and all. And so, what I find fascinating straight away on Christianity and politics is the way that certain views become popular. You know, Christians with a platform tend to gravitate towards those mm. and just do so often, quite frankly, in an utterly ham-fisted way. Um, mm. And like when Welby popped up the other day, it wasn't so much I disagreed with him. Some things he said I thought was I probably agreed with him. I was like, dude, mm-hmm. you, you, you haven't thought through half this stuff and therefore you're making Christians look utterly uninformed. Um, mm. So I... I so on the one hand, I wish some Christians would get out of politics. On the other hand, I wish more thought-through Christians might take the time to, to do the hard work, and it is hard work, to figure out how our faith and our politics go together. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. And th- th- that is, those are some of the themes, actually, that came up at this conference, which is interesting. Um, like, I, I was just there because I'd been invited to come down and... Uh, um, you know, so it was a, a good opportunity to go and meet people and to, and listen to some of these ideas. There was Rod Dre was speaking there, and he wasn't able to make it in the end. He had an injury, but there's those discussion of faith. How, what's the role of Christianity specifically in speaking into these future or current and 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 but looking towards the future in terms of how can we uh, create a better future? Mm. Oh, I'm socially. disappointed, Rod. Rod Dre didn't come. I was yeah, thinking, he wasn't. I was hoping you'd have no. some great story about having breakfast with him and, and you sat down in the cafe and you went for the Eggs Benedict option. Ah, uh, indeed. Look at that. You, you, were just, you, need, you need to hold that joke until you meet him and then you can, uh, you yeah. can chuck that out there. That well, was 15, actually... 15 seconds of, of working that line into the podcast <laughs> and going, I'm, I'm going to throw it into there. Somehow I'm going to get this in there. Um, yeah. No, funny. Yeah, he's, he's, actually, he's actually in Hungary now, strangely. This is Rod Dreher, who we did an episode on um, a while back on Live Not By Lies, who's written about the uh, need for Christians to take a different approach in the in the kind of coming years. And uh, he's now in Hungary, which is a very conservative country politically, um, and obviously also gets a lot of flack. It certainly did at the uh, the Euros. But this it, it, it's an interesting thing, yeah, to see. Again, it links back into this, this kind of progressive bias in the media. So it would be Hungary is terrible because they care about family and they care about – and obviously they have a hard line on LGBT issues, that kind of thing. I'm certainly not saying any – uh, that they're likely to be perfect in all these ways. But they are interesting that that's now becoming, many are seeing that as a sort of hub of more free thinking for conservatives to think, right, um, I, I want to I want to conserve, I care about heritage, I don't want to destroy all the statues and rewrite history so that it makes all of all of Western Europe seem like the bad guys all the time, or, or Anglo-American um, uh, tradition. And so I just think it's an interesting time, actually, just for these people to be gathering together. It's quite, it felt like quite a historic event and they did talk about Welby uh, a couple of times those questions were asked like what should the archbishop be meddling to that to, you know in, in some of those issues and um, usually he doesn't doesn't usually come off very well he normally gets told or the media tend to respond oh just keep to yourself even those who you think would be happy with him um, speaking up for these left-wing issues it's just interesting as, as a Christian you look at it and go I just why doesn't he speak about abortion um, you know except only on the on the choice side of the argument. Why doesn't he um, speak about trans issues other than saying that boys can you know cross dress and that's fine? Which he said years ago. I think maybe even six years ago. I think I remember him saying that. So he was way. He's always turning to the left. And so the idea of him coming in as an evangelical archbishop who was going to mm. hold the line on these things, he hasn't really done that. I don't. I don't want to be too critical. We have been a bit critical of him in the past, when we. But equal because it is a hard job. We've said that before. But I just think. It has been woefully disappointing, I think, in general. His, you know, 
his his drift or slide to the left on the, his if he if he's evangelical evangelicalism doesn't hasn't really meant much hmm. and and if if it's an impossible job fine but it's like it's it's yeah. still a sad thing for the witness of the church in this nation to be dragged along with the zeitgeist i mean and i know that you can have zeitgeists on the right for sure um and one of the funny things about this conference is uh it is called national conservatism so that sounds very much similar to some uh, to national socialism so the ones the people on the left who who, who think everyone at these conferences are fascists which they they like to do anyway if they if, if they critique woke you must be a fascist today um then you know they see it gives them an easy easy way in it reminds me of that line that doug wilson has used before where he says they said they asked him to define a racist and he said a racist is anyone who is losing an argument with a liberal because they just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like they just get called a racist. So that's, 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 that's pretty much how you see. It. So basically, it's similar to that. That there's so yeah, that that fear of like, oh look, you you care about the nation, you care like you care about patriotism, and look who cared about patriotism. The Nazis cared about patriotism, so you must be like the Nazis. And they're like literally the whole thing is like run by a a Jewish guy who's pretty. Uh, very strong on this um and, and i think it's just really interesting how how it's been yeah portrayed in the left-wing media and, that, and people responding to it the twitter feeds um in, in following conferences uh, conference presentations throughout the day they're, they're referring to how the media outside are referring to it all so it's kind of an interesting place to me there's a lot of security a lot of protesters who interrupted at certain times had to be dragged out and then people oh what about free speech and this kind of thing so it's quite an interesting thing but it kind of showed that there was an interest now in people taking these issues seriously. And like I said, faith, Christian faith, was given a very good hearing. Uh, there was a whole panel on God and country and various presentations talked about faith and the importance of it. But again, we can get into what that can actually end up meaning. But it was certainly about, it wasn't just faith in general, like Prince Charles style. It was like, sorry, King Charles III style. Um, it was genuinely, we need Christian values, heritage, all that Tom Holland stuff that we've often talked about that, that, they recognise you don't have a Western history that you can be proud of in any sense without care, being proud of Christianity. And it's that's no, interesting. I mean, coming back to um, coming back to Welby, something you said there a moment ago mm. struck me that I think you know, sort of pulling the camera lens back slightly and looking at perhaps the, you know the, the bigger issue of the church and politics. I think one of the problems is, and I think you see it typified uh, by Welby and others, is that if you are going to talk about some of the complicated issues of the day you're going to be misunderstood i mean as the way that you know you talked about that that particular conference that you 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 know you went to um there it you know the moment you try and address some of those themes in an intelligent thoughtful way you're going to get demonized and the yeah. danger is that if you're a public christian leader uh that you want to be liked you want to be thought well of sometimes that can be because you lack confidence and your identity is perhaps wrapped up in your public image sometimes just because you genuinely want people to think well of the church you don't want people to think badly of the gospel and jesus mm. and so you end up either saying nothing or you end up drifting into the kind of well esque kind of position of trying to say vague things actually naively mm. assuming that everyone agrees with you uh, because the problem is you've mm. surrounded yourself by a bubble so mm. i think justin would probably be quite surprised uh, that some of the things he pops up and, and witters on about are actually mm. deeply controversial Mm. Um, you sometimes get that sort of sense listening to him that oh gosh I just caused a fuss by saying that because he's surrounding mm. himself by by an echo chamber but I'm mm. intrigued by the fact that actually I think I, I know quite a lot of evangelicals genuine true you know evangelical Christians mm. who self-censor when it comes to issues because of that fear mm. of 
gosh, if I stand up and talk about, if I say something about abortion, I'm going to cause issues. Or the other mm. line that comes in, I was talking to someone just the other day on this, is, is the fear of, well, what if I upset somebody? Mm. Um, and so, for example, um, the person I was talking to said their, you know, said their, you know, their pastor had preached once on abortion and it got complaints because people have gone, well, but there's people in the congregation who've had abortions and, and been yeah. traumatized. And, and so, mm. that, that, you know, I think their pastor therefore felt like, gunned at very few people mm. defended him. And so my friend said, it's unlikely he'll probably ever speak on that again. Um, mm. Rather than going, okay, this is a controversial issue. Um, I'm going to get gunned at. I need to make sure I'm not being gunned at because I'm doing it in a cack-handed way. Um, yeah. And on that particular issue, I personally think it's enough to caveat and say there may be people who have been affected by this. You know, grace is big enough that if you've done stuff in the past, there is forgiveness in Christ. Right, that aside, yeah, yeah, let's now yeah. talk about this um and you've dealt with it in such a way that if anyone has done something daft in the past grace it will cover all students of sins but i think we're afraid of what people will think and so we don't and that then one of my big concerns these days aaron is that if the sensible people leave the the playing field and it's not just Mm. christians i mean Mm. people of Mm. goodwill who want to talk about things in a in a positive engaging way and look there are that they those are people exist on both left and right in politics, because I'm also concerned that those of us on the more conservative end of the discussion don't turn around and just demonize everyone on the left. Because mm-hmm. one of my, you know, having lived in North America for a while, with mm. all due respect to my American listeners, that's one of the sad things in American politics. Both sides demonize the other. Mm. I know far too mm. many Republican voters who think Dem- the Democrats are devil incarnate, and I know too much the other way around, and go, mm. I get depressed when I see, you know, some of that replicated. Mm. over here and so christians yeah. need to be need to be in the game and part of our job in the game is to equally extend the left the right hand of, of welcome to those across the political divide and go no i'm not going to demonize you and because you disagree with me on this topic i don't think you're the devil incarnate i think you're wrong but mm-hmm. we can talk about this in a way that is engaging and, and fruitful there's a real opportunity yeah. i think for, and that's why we need christians in politics yeah no that's right and we don't have that many, but we do have, we do have some though. There are there are like I say there's more than we'd we'd think, um, and they've often historically found it difficult. Obviously, Tim Farron found it impossible, basically, to to maintain yep. his Christian faith. Kate and Forbes be a leader in of, Scotland, yeah, Kate Forbes cancelled effectively, and um, well, outvoted, but the media pressure against her was was so significant, and so and and those who do make it in, it's always so depressing, isn't it? Like you, David Cameron used to talk, the former Prime Minister years ago would, would would regularly say oh i'm very proud that we're a christian nation and you know i'm i'm a christian i consider myself a christian and he might get a follow-up question about what that really means well you know i'm not your every week kind of church goer and i was just always thinking, yeah you're probably not christian um it's just it's just a standard thing a politician needs to say don't they they can't they can't say we're we're proud of our values but i'm not in any way going to endorse them if they if they're from that you know, in that in that in that era anyway i mean obviously Rishi Sunak wouldn't be wouldn't say he, he's a the current prime minister wouldn't say he's a um he's a christian he's a hindu isn't he but he um he actually by the way read colossians better than any of the any his he did the best reading at that charles's coronation yes better than all the bishops i just thought this is hilarious the hindu is reading the bible with more vigor some, somebody tweeted this that if you want the bible read well in church you should get a hindu yeah. I have a feeling sense, it was actually yeah. David Robertson. It was slightly flippantly. Yeah, uh, my yeah. old my old my old buddy and Solas founder just sort of flippantly sort of said yes. But it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but you're right. I think to say that it's there's a, a fear of um, 
Yeah. Making politics is a very emotive thing, isn't it? And it affects people's life story in a huge way. They'll have friends that are connected intimately to certain issues. So whether it's someone you know who's had an abortion, that might go, well, I can't take a strong pro-life stance, some might say, because it will offend this person and it's very complex. Or, or let's say someone's got gender dysphoria. I won't talk about trans issues because I know that this person's in a complex situation and they haven't really worked it out yet. And so they, you don't want to alienate people. And so that's why many evangelical churches for years have, have taken a very apolitical stance, especially in the pulpit, and said we mustn't preach partisan politics. And I understand that. You don't want your pulpit becoming the equivalent of a kind of election rally and, and giving, giving that basically a one party a particular platform. I think where I would say that the game has changed a little bit, not that you should suddenly be a party politics church at all. That's an extremely dangerous thing historically. But it's difficult when there's a massive tidal wave, that there's a massive kind of block of power in what in, 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 in this imbalance. And I think what we've already mentioned, there is a progressive block of power in terms of the cultural narrative and the things, the decisions that are actually being made. And that's regardless of party, by the way. The liberalism, the progressivism is like all the way through the Tory party as well. So it's not like we're saying this party is brilliant and this party is terrible. They're, they're kind of all bad in different ways. But I, I just think that there's a massive progressive swing and that's affecting the church. And it's affecting the church's ability to literally say what it believes, like to speak freely around about what's actually the content of scripture and even the content of the gospel. I know that the gospel seems very nice and, and lovey because you're just saying God loves you. That's probably because you just sort of shorn off all the more challenging bits that that are part of what the full package of the gospel is, the full counsel of God. And I, and I think we've for too long, because we've been fearful of looking like the kind of yeah extreme right versus left kind of um, situation, maybe of a previous era, we've now kind of moved to the other way and gone, right, we won't say anything. Yes. And that actually has just not even been consistent, has it? No, and I think the other the other thing that's changed um, in terms of you talking about the world has changed mm. is that everything is now political. This is yeah. this is... This is often said in, in culture right now. There used to be, perhaps there were, perhaps, perhaps there was a time when as Christians we could, you know, quote unquote, avoid politics. But the problem is now, if you are a Christian who wants to try and play that game, you go, well, well everything's political. Education is political. Housing is political. Mm. Gender is political. Abortion is political. Faith is, is political. So as you're going to sit there and say mm. absolutely nothing, you can't mm. really avoid uh, that I think is the is the first thing mm. uh, I would say, and then the other thing that intrigued me on this as you were talking there, Aaron. You know, uh, about a week or so ago, um, I was struck by the fact I interviewed um, for a Solus podcast. I interviewed um, a friend of mine called Sean McDowell, and uh, he's the son mm. of Josh McDowell, very well known Christian. Oh writer. yeah, and Sean's got a really good ministry in his own right, brilliant communicator and evangelist, and and I'd say young philosopher. He's not that much younger than me, but anyway. So he had a new book out called A Rebel's Manifesto, which is basically mm-hmm. a federal guide to Christian ethics and Christian living for young people. And it's brilliantly written, and it's got chapters on there on all the big questions you might imagine. Well, what struck me was, I was like, okay, this is interesting. He's American. Mm. I don't see British Christians doing this kind of stuff. I mean, a generation or so ago, we had John Stott, you know, yeah. majorly significant evangelical pastor, writes that brilliant book, Issues Facing Christian Today, which was like an adult version of that. And I looked at Sean's book and I thought, oh, this is like a youth version, youth and young adult version. Right. Issues Facing Christian Today, updated. But then it struck me going, gosh, why is it we're not getting the big mainstream voices doing this mm. here? Um, probably because 
they would be afraid they'd get shot down. You know, you have a chapter on their abortion, you're going to get flack. Yeah. You've got a chapter on their yeah. trans, you're going to get flack. Yeah. You've got a chapter on their on marriage and children, all these other mm. kind of things. Mm. And I think evangelicals have, have run for cover. And that's one mm. reason, by the way, when Christians do pop up and talk about politics, it tends to be the, you know, the left-leaning progressive one sort yeah. of bobbing along with the yeah. with the stream. Um, yeah. But there's something about, I think for, you know, we know I know a lot of pastors and leaders kind of listen to, to Pot of the Gaps, and I think there is a real challenge, therefore, for Christian pastors and leaders and preachers. Yeah, you don't bring party politics into the pulpit, but we've got to help Christians think about how do we engage those big issues of the of the day? What is a how as Christians we think these through? And here's the interesting thing, Aaron. I'd say even if even if there are multiple positions you can come to, some things I don't think there are. I don't think there's I don't think there's different Christian positions on abortion. Um, mm. There might be some nuance around pastoral issues when something mm. has happened. It's by the by, but overall, I think. Mm. But there are issues where, you know, I don't take immigrate, take immigration, take green issues. But we're not teaching Christians how to think those issues through mm. theologically. I don't mind mm. if someone takes a different view to you or I on, say, ecology or or what, what immigration or housing or economics. But if they just simply go, oh, I, 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 I did this because I got the I got the feels. Right, mm, you know, mm. all my Guardian reading colleagues said this is what I should be yeah. thinking, and then and then Wilby mm. popped up and tweeted something, and so that's what I think. Yeah. Um, then I worry. But if somebody yeah. says I, I've I've read the scriptures, I've prayed about this, I've wrestled this through, and I, and I think this is the position I'm comfortable with. Gosh, mm. I've got a lot more time. For that yeah, if it, it, right. If if someone has indeed, <laughs> we just need dinner. we need more theological reflection, don't we? And and more realization that the Bible has more to say into these political issues than we've previously allowed it to because we've sort of um made it almost made scripture only say only repeat the gospel so i think i said something recently on, on another podcast with a, a pastor in the states to say i think some, a lot of the sermons that are preached today we we do sort of something there's a danger of just making everything say the same thing regardless of what the contours of the actual passage are actually saying when actually scripture does speak into all of life in so many Ways and when you say all of life, you suddenly are talking about culture and yes, socio politics. Like politics is related to how our society functions well or not so well, and what are the answers to that? What are the diagnoses? How do we how do we say what the problem is? And should Christians is it is it the case that Christians are supposed to completely vacate that? Clearly, we don't think that because we we look at history and we see the church's role in the political sphere as being monumental in the West, which is why people can talk about the Christian heritage of the West in across all of culture, including the arts and other areas. But that's because it also it had a significant political um, frontier as well, which is different to saying um, we want the entirety, let's say, we want a Christian state. I mean, that's a debate people are having a lot in the States at the moment around Christian nationalism and those things. And those are not uninteresting debates. They are relevant. And there's things we could probably do a whole episode on at some point um, discussing that. But I think we do need to think about what is the socio-political frontier of the church because we have a lot of history a lot of theology has been written around that there's a lot of brilliant theologians in the evangelical tradition even who took that very seriously and who read scripture and got and said actually this has things to inform a good way of living as a society that leaders can learn from and and very very you know too often people go well don't get involved in the culture wars in adverted commas because that's just a separate thing just talk about the gospel I said, what do you mean? The cult if you if you if under the culture wars you include things like abortion and trans LGBT stuff, well like like the reason I basically got fired for my tweet, I saying this is a gospel homosexuality is a gospel issue. 
ultimately it affects the gospel. If you if you don't care about if you don't care about um, these issues, they're going to kind of erode the foundations of the gospel anyway. If you start messing with what sin is or isn't, then you have a very different message. You are literally preaching a, a different gospel anyway. So let alone all the free speech issues that we'll have. So if you, if you can't preach the gospel because someone shuts you down because of your view on trans or something, then that view does become an issue that affects the gospel. So the answer isn't to say, I won't say what, what my view is or speak out against it, because then you're, you're letting a lot of people down that you should be helping if you really believe that, that certain ideologies in culture are harmful. So you, you wouldn't call, for example, William Wilberforce, someone who was engaging in culture wars. But what else was he doing? I mean, that's, you know, in, t- in trying to abolish slavery, that isn't a gospel issue, is it? Technically speaking, it's not a gospel issue. But who's willing to stand up and say, ah, Wilberforce wasting his time in politics, wasting his time, not speaking about the gospel, getting in trouble all the time for years and years and banging on about this issue, a very complex issue, which all the politicians and and you know analysts of the day would have been telling what a, um, it's much more complex than you realize it's not as simple as that and i we've said i don't know if we've said this before we probably did on our abortion episode but abortion is is that clear really that one one day hopefully if it is abolished if and when it's abolished we could i should say um, we'll look back at it and go how did anyone not think it was this clear that's what i would hope but at the time for slavery for wilberforce it would have been seen as a very complex nuanced issue with all these different political arguments on either side and and you know, so some of these issues are absolutely worth fighting for, and they can be a huge part of our missional hmm. witness as Christians. Whether or not we are on this or that side um, of a particular party, I think doing good or trying to speak out truth and to be salt and light, surely that's what being salt and light means. And to vacate the political sphere, as you say, it doesn't become neutral, does it? It becomes something, and we've seen it's become increasingly aggressive against the Christian faith. So it's become more secular and more, uh, more progressive, which is just not helpful. Yes, I I agree with much of that. I was sitting reflecting on the use of the term culture wars, actually, because, Mm. you know, prepping for this conference I'm speaking at in in Poland, and one of the sessions I'm doing there is is digital evangelism, you know, how we we engage, you know, in, in evangelism and sharing Christ. Mm. in the digital space and actually and one of the t- one of the principles i'm giving at the end i'm going through i'm, I'm talking about principles for individuals principles for churches and so yeah. and actually i have got a line in there where i say stay away from the culture wars but then i nuance it because i think like so many things it depends what you mean if yeah. by culture wars we mean controversial issues then i think that's yeah. for christians to vacate that's a bad idea if by mm. culture wars we mean the tendency on social media for you to get these great tribes Mm. developing where all you do is weaponize everything you can and throw it at the other side come what may um, mm. and it gets incredibly nasty and also mm. as christians we lose sight of the fact that no matter how much we disagree with someone on the other side no matter how much they're spitting at us they are still someone mm. made in god's image um, mm. and we cannot step down to their level then that i think i've got no time for mm. and i think the challenge is and that's probably a whole other topic here of Although we have actually talked about how to argue well online. I think that was about episode five um, <laughs> of Paul of the Gats, right way back at the beginning. I think that's the that's the challenge in this mm. too, not to get sucked into, you know, some of the some of the far less the far sort of less dignified stuff while holding the line fast mm. on truth. But I think for most Christians, that's not the fit, that's not the risk. The risk is saying nothing. Um yeah. for most. And then I think the other thing as well. Uh, and we touched on this a bit when I referenced the states earlier. Now, I used to say this is more American politics than it is here, but I think we now see it here, is this demonizing of the other. Or equally, for mm. the mistake Christians making is baptizing one side. 
Um, mm, you know, I used to get mm. very distressed with, you know, friends who were Republican, not many, but, you know, who'd go, oh, yes, well, obviously, I will obviously vote for Donald Trump. I will obviously vote for George Bush because the other side is pro-abortion. And I remember going, that's a great argument. Don't disagree with you. The Democrats are a huge problem. But just a moment. Now let's talk about the Republicans. And let's talk about mm-hmm. the fact this is a party machine that wants to get into power and it will use any group it can to do so. Do not think to yourself that the Republican mm-hmm. Party loves Christians. You are simply convenient. Um, and there's monstrous issues on your side too. And that's even more so the case in British politics. Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest, my challenge most time elections come around here, Aaron, is who the heck do you vote for? Um, because I look, you yeah. know, when the next election comes around back of next year, I'm going to look at it and go, well, it's very easy to go, well, Labour, yeah, they're all progressive mm-hmm. and they're into all the trans stuff and everything else, very wokey. But then as you say, well, the Tories are too. Uh, yeah. And the Tories have some pretty monstrous policies. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the way they've chased net zero are doing massive harm mm-hmm. to the poor. I think the Tories yeah. don't care for the for the work for the working class, particularly Labour. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure much better, but the Tories are infinitely worse. And then we get to the comedy ones like the Lib Democrats and the Greens who Lord help us. So that lead mm-hmm. raises a whole other question, of course, who do you who do you vote for? But that to me is also, by the way, why we desperately need Christians in politics. And you mentioned you know, the, the conference mm. you were at, there were some Christians who were who mm. were politicians. And we mm. we desperately mean men and women with that calling mm. too, because uh, yeah. you know, yeah. Wilberforce. I mean where's the where's the likes mm. of Wilberforce today? And not not just someone who's fighting for the right issue, but someone who is being a public Christian in the political mm. sphere and of such integrity that you think that interests me about Wilberforce, even his opponents were forced to, you know, respect his integrity. Yeah. As, yeah. a, as a leader, you know, he was, they disagreed with his politics, but it's interesting yeah. to read his biographies, even those on the other side had very positive things to say mm. about his mm. character, his integrity, his christ yeah. and And it's often forgotten that his, yeah, his, his secular, secular media can sometimes claim Wilberforce just as a, as a political reformer, can't they? But his, it was his actual, he was an evangelical. It's important to note that he was actually a, a you know, fully paid up evangelical in terms of his understanding of the gospel and his desire for well, mission and, and even for yes, evangelism. The but, point yeah. that proves that, by the way, because you're, you're, abso- you're absolutely right. And I, am, I remember reading the biography of him by William Haig a few years ago and thinking Haig, bless him, missed a few things, I think. I mean, he sort of obviously recognized what was as a man of faith, but I think missed mm-hmm. the significance of a lot of it. Yeah. The thing that really proves that point, um, Aaron, would be the Clapham sect, that Wilberforce yeah. is deeply involved uh, with Thornton mm. and that and that lot, and to go, you look at the campaigns that that group came up with. For, it mm. wasn't just slavery. In fact, you know the famous line of Wilberforce, of course, is you know shortly after his conversion, he writes in his diary, "God has set before me two great objects: the uh, the reformation of manners and the <laughs> abolition of slavery." And by reformation mm. of manners, he didn't I mean, he didn't mean getting yeah. people to be polite to each other. <laughs> yeah. Society was utterly immoral. Yeah. A massive yeah. problem with gin. And alcoholism yeah. and the damage it was doing. We had children up, children in sl- indentured slavery. Effectively, uh, we yeah. had a society that was utterly coarse. And Wilberforce mm. had this great vision of going, "How do we, how do we change this? How do we, how do we bring mm. an end to these injustices? Mm. Um, and how do we deal with slavery?" So he was mm. utterly saturated mm. um, in um, in his Christian faith. And by the way, the, the the fun side on the other side of this is the one of the other big campaigns that Wilberforce. Uh, was involved with, which is less remembered today. Um, he was one of the ones uh, involved in setting up the British um, and Foreign Bible Society. He mm. was um, 
he was an advocate for getting the Bible into the hands of people throughout the Commonwealth. He particularly was wanting to get Bibles distributed in India. And mm. British colonial interests in India, the East India Company and, and others, fought yeah, yeah. tooth and nail. Why yeah. did they fight tooth and nail? Because they were worried that if Indian, if Indians in the colonies, and if Indians in India um, started reading the Bible, they might get it into their heads that they were equal to their white masters because they would read things mm-hmm. like Genesis chapter 1. And literally, mm-hmm. World Voices opponents are using this kind of language yeah. in, the, in the house. So it was interesting that it was the secularists in one sense. Uh, I mean, they might be Christian in name only, but these were not. Christ followers. These were people who were utterly steeped in just wanting financial gain and power and influence. Mm. You know, saw a huge danger what the force was doing. So, yeah, sorry, this went into a war force mm. tangent. Um, no, it's you good. Come across good. these types who are like, well, he was just a political reformer. You go, no, you have to ask why he was a political yeah. reformer. He's also, and, and, by the way, best buddies, of course, with John Newton. Uh, yes, reformed, yeah. the, the, the former the former slave trader and deeply committed. Christian. Yeah. And that whole, and if you want to get a vision, by the way, again, another by the way for politics, <laughs> go read the history of the Clapham sect. There's quite a few good biographies on on that movement. And mm. to go a bunch of men and women, by the way, who turned their society upside down and they did it out of community. They lived together, they studied together, they mm-hmm. soaked themselves in the scriptures, they prayed together, mm-hmm. but they had this mm-hmm. massive vision for mm. why, how can we change politics? Mm. And they turned the world upside down. And it's an interesting thing that you, you know, historically, we're not clearly not saying that the only people who can achieve great political reforms uh, need to be Christian, but there is a correlation between the impact of a worldview and the kind of questions you're going to ask and the kind of the existing establishment and the kind of solutions you're, you're going to mm. try to suggest. Because, because I do think, and even those who aren't Christians, the interesting thing about this NatCon conference, for example, there's loads of people who are saying true things that are beholden to a Christian heritage. Like I lost count of the amount of times that G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis were quoted by presenters. Really? Yeah, loads of times, like over 10 times in 10 different presentations quoted Chesterton or Lewis. And I kind of thought, this is fascinating. And a lot of these people aren't Christians. Um, and there are fair, a fair few Christians were there, but quite a few uh, just saw the issues. And, and even they are leaning upon Christian wisdom to say the true thing. So the truth is just the truth, isn't it? So it's not like we go, oh, here's my religious truth. It's in the Bible. Out there, someone will come to some conclusion which is completely out of sync with with God's revelation and God's wisdom. Well, no, that isn't the case, actually. And so that's why when you have had um, societies that have gone, let's say, you know, tried to apply scripture wholeheartedly across an, uh, a nation, which is not necessarily, I mean, they, as I said, there's lots of debates about that happening, theonomy, as we might call it, in terms of the application of God's law to politics. Um, they, they've seen, they've had a lot of, you know, a, a sort of um, impact in doing that because they're saying this is consistent because we believe it's true and it's wise to for a society to live that way. I think, you, you know, if you had a wonderful situation where everyone was a Christian, mm. then that would be great. But even though, even if there are societies where everyone isn't a Christian, um, it's often been the case that um, a Christian society or a Christian-led society or Christian-influenced society has has actually been good for freedom per se. It's been there's been more freedoms uh, and, and democracy springing out of um, some of these um, these societies than there would be in let's say an equivalent Islamic uh, situation or or even to, to not go too political, even though we're in a political podcast, a communist state, for example. It's not like a communist state is going to. We've seen evidence of a communist state 
developing certain kinds of freedom. It's been the opposite. So there is a correlation between the worldview and the kind of political questions that come out. So for a Christian to say, I'm worried about the party politics stuff, I'm worried about you know, Republicans using Christians to get themselves in power, etc. Of course, that's a problem. But we just have to take each moment as we see it, don't we? We've got to look at the, as a Christian, you've got to look at, discern what is the kind of cultural moment that we're in and what is the kind of requirement today? Who are we, who are we trying to reach and, and why are we trying to reach them? And it's very tricky and it does require lots of thought, theological thought and, and reflection. And, and to, for some, it will engage in philosophy as well, political philosophy and engage in just the application of logic and say, look, these are the facts, here's the issues. How can I make sense of these? And, and, and who are the best people to kind of help support those? And that's, that's why you can't always just say, this is my only view on this particular, uh, this is stance on politics and it's never going to change because you just might find yourself in a cultural situation where you think, wow, I never thought I'd need to speak about this issue, but now I feel like I need to. So for myself, I do tend to speak about issues that tend to be on the right. And it's not because I don't think there's any merit whatsoever in anything someone else is saying on the left, but it's like, where is the power base? Mm. And what are the issues that we're that are bad, that we're actually calling good? I just can't stand that when you see something, oh, this is actually a virtuous thing, mm. let's say abortion, <clears throat> because it enables choice. I just think that's why I do have a bit of, I set a lot of sympathy for those voters, even in the States, who go, look, I know there's terrible problems with this party, but I'm going to go with them because of this, because this is a load-bearing issue, that kind of thing. I know that other problems arise from that, but we too often then end up in a sort of political apathy where we go, the left's as bad as the right, and, and that's always going to be the way. Therefore, we've got this magical middle place where we don't we're apolitical and we don't... It's kind of, you know, I'd, I'd love that to be true, hmm. but I kind of, I just don't think it... it it is because it like right. it, it creates this weird synthesis in the middle, and who gets to say where that what that perfect balance really is? Well, I don't think there is any balance. And I think the only thing I would the only thing I would probably sort of you know being naturally iconoclastic would fight for. I think I would. I think I probably would say politically the right is as bad as the left. Um, the issue is we are we are, and as you say, looking at where the entrenched interests are, where the power base is right now, and right now there's that whole so there's a whole, that whole progressive mob that's that's really dominant and so i think actually the natural place for christians to be is to be challenging the the status quo that's a great place to be in the same way that perhaps during the end of the thatcher years in the, in the 1980s a great place to be as a christian was challenging the status quo on the other side um so a, a great question i think if you're going to engage politically is actually to start by going okay where is the power where is the flow going of society okay who's not asking the questions that should be being asked and at different times in different parts of history that will stand you on different sides of things um but the other thing i think as we're running rapidly out of time but i think to me flows out of what we were just saying there a moment ago about the clapham sect and i forget what you said as a response triggered something in my in my mind i I triggered you did i i'm glad i'm glad i triggered you yes this was it you talked about the fact that you know at this conference you were at, lots of people quoting Chesterton and Lewis, mm. and I, they, they, they love what Christianity has done while not you know, figuring out, yeah, it makes a difference whether it's not, it's true. But the fact is, as Douglas Murray and uh, Tom Holland, Louise Perry, mm. lots of others, I think are recognising and writing about the fact Christianity has built the West. I'm intrigued, actually, by the fact that actually you can widen that out. While you were, um, while you were uh, going on there, I was looking up, just getting a reference. There was a, there was a great piece... Well- of- I love that. While I was going on, was, you were not listening weird, to what I was saying. You were doing some. You were, you were just on Wikipedia. I was yeah, I asking, so I knew you had a reference. So there was um, yes. 
There's a lot of talk about about missionaries these days, and it's part of the whole progressive agenda. You know, missionaries are seen as terribly bad people. Uh, and, you know, the problems they cause to indigenous societies and so on. But back in 2010, there was a sociologist called Robert Woodbury with this massive study looking at the impact of missionaries in history who had preached for conversion. And he was quite mm-hmm. careful in his terms. He wanted missionaries who were not interested in being agents of the state, but when mm-hmm. they truly believed the gospel, they were preaching for conversion. And um, his study, you know, caused massive shockwaves through sociology and anthropology. has been since been confirmed by many, many other studies. He showed that, and I should just read you the quote because this is, this is gold. It says, areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past, are on average more economically developed today, comparatively better Mm. health, lower infant mortality, less corruption, greater Mm. literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women. Um, You will find more printed books and more schools. And in Africa, the Middle East and parts of Asia, most of those leaders who successfully led their countries to independence had all graduated from Protestant mission schools. And Mm. so Woodbury's work shows what we've just said for the West actually is bigger than that but i think the key piece though for me that is missed is surely it all comes down to this aaron is the gospel true if the message of jesus is true then we shouldn't be afraid of wrestling through the implications for culture and sometimes those are easier to see than others the abortion issue as you say i think it's actually quite an easy issue how we find our voice on that takes a bit of courage but the issue is easy there are other things that are more complicated but we can do the good work because we believe the gospel is true. If the gospel isn't true, on the other hand, it's just a nice idea, then it's meaningless. But I would imagine that most of the people listening to this podcast are, yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, in which case we need to not be afraid, like Wilberforce and those other reformers in history were, of going, okay, if it's true, we can't afford to shy away from issues. Mm. But we do it on the basis of the gospel, which means sometimes we'll align with right, sometimes we'll align with left, sometimes we'll be the lonely voice like John the Baptist shouting in the wilderness. But what we mustn't do is uh, is get swept along by the stream of the zeitgeist and just go where everyone else is going because it's comfortable. Um, yeah. I think as Christians, we're often called to be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And that's, that's definitely and the case if we talk about politics. Exactly right. And I think it's, you know, that I, I think if you were on the other side, you, you probably would say that that is a good place to end it. I just have one tiny caveat. To, go on, then do a tiny, you, a, your tiny, thoughts a little caveat. A, t- a, little, a little bonus caveat here. Cavini. Um, we should probably put this for patron subscribers only, you know, we'll put it behind the wall. Pause but the video here. It, we'll pause the yeah, recording yeah. here. To find out <laughs> exactly. Aaron's Karen's caveat. Exactly. That's well, right. The caveat. Know. You have to you have to pay ten pounds a month for the caveat. For the, cave- um, for, the Cav- for the rest of your life. So, yes. Different tiers of subscription. You know, some <laughs> some people do, you know, gold, silver, bronze. We're gonna do caveat level. That's caveat level, exactly. The level of controversy of the caveat. Qualification, so I came qualification <laughs> level. <laughs> exactly. Latin, Latin footnote level. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it in different languages for the even high one. Um, so Sorry, I think caveat, so. No, yeah, the caveat was um, on. Let, let's say so. Uh, in terms of a practical outworking of this, I do think just to, off of what you said about abortion, right? That's just as, a, as one issue. We've talked about abortion, obviously, in other two other episodes last year, and uh, it's about the how things cash out in reality. Okay, and and you being consistent with your conviction. That's where the challenges come in. So I came across recently. Uh, I didn't really. I don't know why I didn't know this, but because there's there's loads of pro-life agencies now, but there's now tension within the pro-life within the anti-abortion movement. So there's abortion abolitionists as a different position to pro-life. Um, usually all Christian, but there are non-Christian pro-life agencies as well now, increasingly, which probably is telling you a good 
there's a good direction of travel there and people the Overton window is shifting and people are going this is insane so it is exact so it is an easy issue in the sense of it's clear I think and becoming ever clearer that this is a bad idea um, but there is a kind of consistency issue that the anti-abortion people are saying they're saying the pro-life people are only they're too nice which is really worrying like, oh gosh I thought I was already being told off for being pro-life and the anti-abortion people are going no you need to be consistent so you shouldn't say abortion is murder if you're not willing to prosecute the mother, that's when it gets really tricky. And you go, oh, I wouldn't want to do that because there's it's, it's complicated because actually is she deceived? Is there, It's not really that she's consciously doing this, but then they say, well, then you shouldn't call it murder. And so I, we'd, we'd probably be, be happier probably, you know, prosecuting a doctor if you, if you made a law against this, that this is illegal now, it's murder. There are, you'd normally have to have, follow through on that principle and say, well, the law would suggest that to bring to justice, you need to, you know, apportion the um uh, the, the correct judgment to that and so that's where they're saying we need to properly eradicate abortion to really get rid of it we do need to consider it as murder and therefore we need to follow through on that and if we, if we did a very strong penalty in the same way those for murder there would be it, it would dr- dramatically decrease the idea that abortion is possible is if you don't do that you're, you're going to have more abortions that are happening which is obviously very controversial i don't i don't quite know why Think of that, but, but I understand that it's a it's a consistency issue again. Like I was saying earlier, what is your view? What do you think the truth is, and how do you work it out politically? That's when it gets messy, and that's when the compromises come in, or that's when you you have to you might have to kind of give something away. So it's a challenging thing, isn't it? But hopefully, it all comes through. I'm trying to find a way to link that back to your lovely point about the gospel in some way. Uh, but I think it does. You know, you, you're you're discerning in light of what are the priorities and what are the urgent priorities, important priorities that that we have to face, and then. How how is the best way to work that out? Because someone like Wilberforce, as you mentioned several times, he had to keep going on about it and go, no, we're going to push this through. Um, and he probably had options of compromising along the way and decided to kind of keep going. So just an interesting thought that all these little p- political groups and issues, and, and there, there are a lot of complexity. So I totally understand why Christians go, oh, I don't know what to say, and I don't want to get into hot water. It's easier just to stay out of it. But it, it is worth praying and considering and thinking through what are the thorny issues and go and look at the resources that are out there that might challenge you to think of the socio-political sphere as indeed a place of mission as you said andy hmm. where the gospel has gone forth and where missionaries have gone out and changed societies changed and uh, politics changed built things that are, that are still there today institutions that are wonderful that are worth preserving um and yeah hmm. many things can come forth from it so it isn't just a simple message of just going yeah let's just say you're saved and off you go to heaven actually there's a whole world out there to save and there's, and there's there's good that we can do across it and on that wonderful exhortation we'll make it we'll make a preacher and evangelist out of you yet <laughs> <laughs> an unemployed one but yes unemployed one. <laughs> that brings us to uh, the end of uh, this episode and so i've been andy bannister that's been aaron edwards uh this has been part of the gap so we'll catch you uh hopefully not as long as a gap last time until the next episode and uh, meanwhile it's goodbye from me and it's uh goodbye for me i think you think okay bye for now